Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 75 of Freight 360. Ben, I think I'm. Uh, this is the the most excited I've been for an episode yet. We are we are joined by Trey Griggs with Lean Solutions Group. It's going to be a great episode. How's everyone doing? Looking Good to be here. Thanks to for having me, guys. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, if you guys are if you're a first time listener, thanks for joining us. If you've been listening to us for a while, welcome back to Freight 360. Make sure to share us with all your friends and colleagues in the industry and anyone who may just want to learn, learn a little bit about freight. So uh, leave that five-star review. Helps us rank higher on iTunes and all the other good podcasting uh, sources out there. So um, we're going to get into uh, sports here in a little bit and talk about Tom Brady basically becoming a god at this point. Um, but first, we wanted to give a, a quick shout out to our friends over at DAT. Make sure to check out the show notes. We've got links to get a free month. DAT Power is personally my favorite. It's what my agents use day in and day out. It's the uh, the load board that does not just change their platform without telling you know all the users out there, not dropping any names, but make sure to check out DAT.com for all their great stuff. They've got everything from load boards to carrier onboarding, rating tools, good stuff. Check them out in the show notes, DAT.com as well. All right, so let's get into some sports. And we're going to roll right into the episode. Today is all about networking and marketing and maybe a little bit of sales and you know, we're we're going to we're going to just kind of lead right into it by talking about the uh the Super Bowl cuz Trey, you guys just had a really awesome event, the uh uh the Las Vegas event, the Lean Solutions Group inaugural mastermind event where you guys, you know, you you basically you got a bunch of folks together right around the Super Bowl and had a lot of good events, but let's talk about the game. First and foremost, um, Ben, I said it from like, you know, over a month ago, I said the Bucks were going to go to the Super Bowl. I said they were play, playing the Bills, which didn't happen, but, you know, I was one game away, but Brady, seven I rings. call it. Yeah, seven rings. So is he officially the GOAT? Is there any dispute anymore? What do we think? I don't think there was a dispute before the game personally. Um, I think that he'd already kind of wrapped that up. I think this just kind of took it to maybe the next level that he may like permanently be the go. I don't know that anybody's <laughs> going to ever top what he has been able to accomplish. I mean, records are meant to be broken, yeah. but that, that'd be my perspective is that he was already kind of had the goat established, you know, with six. I mean, he had the same number of rings as the the most successful organizations in the league as well. And now he has more than yep. any organization in the league. So I, yeah. I think that that's where he falls in my eyes. And during a pandemic year where he didn't have any of the, um, preseason training like th that was one of the big things that we're talking about after is yep. it like basically started the season cold right with a new team with all the disadvantages with the disarray in the industry so i will i will tell you the the reason i brought up the goat discussion as a bills fan in the afc east it's pretty much just folks in the afc east that were saying that tom brady isn't really the goat he's a cheater and i've never really ridden that bandwagon 100 <laughs> percent. you know what i mean but bills i'll get on that with the flake gate and the two super bowls that uh, we should have won as steelers fans in the early 2000s gate, all of it so, Bitter, so man. and the seahawks super bowl they should have won if they'd have made a better play call at the line i mean there's there's it oh, could yeah. only be like three or four but it is seven so yeah so the uh, Bills Mafia was, they were torn as to which team to root for. It's like, do you root for Tom Brady who destroyed you for like 20 years straight? Or do you root for the Chiefs who just beat you and prevented you from going to the Super Bowl? So it was, uh, you know, 
I, I was I was rooting for the Bucks all along. And I, I luckily put a money line bet in before the game, which turned out to obviously pay out pretty nice. My other random props were just really weird. Um, I took a an over on the number of punts, which worked out good because there was like four punts in the first quarter. And like no one could score on the first couple drives, but yeah, overall, interesting game. It wasn't didn't feel as exciting as other Super Bowls. No. It wasn't. And I'm a Chiefs fan, so I was I was supremely disappointed. But at the same time, you know, looking back, it actually makes sense how it all played out. And I think that we, you know, you you kind of get into this fog of inevitability with Patrick Mahomes that he'll figure out a way to win no matter what is stacked yep. against him. But when you really look at what he was dealing with and what the Bucks did as a result, it was a perfect storm for them to have a terrible game. I and mean, when you have no offensive line, or, or I think they they had four out of five new offensive linemen and two of them that switched positions midweek as they were preparing. When you have that situation up front and the Bucks knew that and they did not have to blitz, that was the biggest thing is they did not have to blitz to get pressure on him because then that means they could put seven back and seven covering five, even if Tyreek Hill is incredibly fast and Travis Kelsey is really good, you're not going to win seven on five. We used to do a drill in high school where we would have five offensive players and seven defensive players, and it was a drill to teach us to keep the ball away from the other team and to take care of the ball. It's really hard. It's really hard to get open when there's seven guys out there yeah. versus five. Yep. And so they took away the main advantage, also knowing that Mahomes just wasn't able to scramble like normal. Because, you know, if his, if his toe was good, he probably would have scrambled for more first downs. He probably wouldn't have been able to get a better passing angle or be able to set his feet better on passes. And so I just think they took away they, – they're just really smart. They took away, you know, what the only advantages that Chiefs had, which was their wide receiving core. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it, they became one-dimensional. And it was just – I mean, it, you could see it. It was, it was like they were – it was almost like watching a good JV team play against a varsity team in high school. They're kind of in the game, <laughs> but they just can never really get anything going. You wow. know, it's kind of the way it felt to me. Ben, I thought I thought we had Trey on today, not Tony Romo, but I mean, I'll, I'll take it either way. What an analysis! That was, that <laughs> get get, get out, get out the board, get out the whiteboard. I'll do some <laughs> some uh, some drawings, some some maxes and notes. I, I was disappointed, but at the same time, you know, a guy like Mahomes. First of all, he handled himself tremendously well, which as a Chiefs fan, you're really proud of that because you're not going to win them all. And yep. to see how he handled it versus, for example, like I was I was supremely disappointed in how Aaron Rodgers handled his defeat three weeks or two weeks ago where it's like, it didn't seem like there was any personal responsibility on him, oh, but you look at Mahomes, and it was, he took it on himself. I got to be better. We have to be better, you know, give them credit. I mean, he called Brady a legend after the game and the, when they met on the field. Yep. So I'm very happy about that. And I do believe that this is going to make him even better. Yeah. You know, than if he had won, he, he, you know, you just never know when people are going to get complacent. Right. Yeah, the level of this humility, will, he will not get humility there was it, it's good. It, it to be a stand-up athlete like that. And I think Drew Brees was kind of the same way in the uh, NFC Championship game too after the game was over. So Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And what was really fascinating is my favorite part of any football game, especially the Super Bowl, is when they give you the mic'd up version afterwards. And one of the clips that I saw from the mic'd up version was listening to the 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 Tampa Bay wide receivers comment on what Patrick Mahomes was able to do even in the midst of all that. The throws he was making, that one throw where he was horizontal and still hit his guy in the helmet. Oh my god, it like was doing nuts. those crazy yeah. things like that. I mean, I don't care what analysts say. They're sitting on the sidelines. They're you and me. They're sitting in a room and they're just saying what they want to say to, to push their agenda. When you hear the opposing team calling him magic, and I can't believe he did that, to me, that's ultimate respect. So I feel like the Chiefs are fine. They're going to be great. He had surgery today. So hopefully that he heals very well from that. But again, I just think this is going to make them even hungrier. 
most of their main yep. pieces are under contract for a long time. So yeah. it, was, it was disappointing, but it's a part of the journey. Got a long career ahead of them. And I got to correct myself. It was the division, the divisional round, not the uh, NFC championship. And I've been like messing myself up on sports a couple of times the last few weeks. So <laughs> anyway, well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Vegas a little bit. Well, actually, first of all, so lean put on an event in Vegas. Um, Trey, for, for those who aren't totally aware with, with your organization and what you guys do, tell us a little bit, a little bit about lean and, and your role there and kind of what's happening. Yeah, so Lean is an organization that's uh, been in business for about eight years with the premise of helping U.S.-based companies set up a satellite office down in one of our five amazing cities in Colombia to leverage the incredible talent down there at a fraction of the cost. So we're giving high-quality employees who understand the industry, but at doing it at a fraction of the cost. And what that does is it allows companies to retain some of that capital to put, you know, invested in technology, invested in, you know, better talent here, whether it be in sales or strategy or, or, or the VP level, C-level executives. And so it's a win-win for everybody. And it's just grown tremendously. We're over 2,100 employees down in Colombia now, over 150 nice. companies. And we're now starting to move into other industries as well. So transportation is definitely our bread and butter. It's 90, 95% of what we do. And it's what we know. So we're experts in that field. We have best-in-class practices with all the customers that we've worked with over the last eight years. But now we're able to spread our wings a little bit and move into other industries, which is very exciting. Love it. Love it. Ben, we have to get down to Colombia, man. Or did I say it wrong? Uh, Colombia. Colombia. And the food is is. amazing. The people are tremendous. The weather, they call it the non-weather weather because it's about 70 to 80 degrees every day. It's wonderful. Wow. That's awesome. Good stuff. So, Let's uh let's kind of talk about the Vegas event. So obviously Ben, yeah. you and I didn't get to make it out there. Um, looking looking forward to, to doing a fo- <laughs> doing a, fo- a follow on. <laughs> hey, I love Las Vegas. I uh, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. It was fun. Vegas, yeah, we had a great time. Vegas. It was it was a great event. You know what we you know COVID's really kind of put a damper on the opportunity to be with customers, and obviously virtual has has helped out being able to do Zoom calls and video calls, and those things are great. Um, but we were looking for an opportunity to safely bring everybody together and to um, and to network and to um, you know, be able to leverage those relationships for um, for our customers, but also for for our company to help grow. And so um, we wanted to put this this event together that would have a little bit of of of, of substance of, of of content that would be helpful, but also have a lot of uh, entertainment value and a lot of fun. And um, so far, the reviews have been that we accomplished that, which was great. We anticipate, especially next year when things open up, that this will be you know five hundred people potentially, maybe more, um, and be just an incredible event moving forward. And we learned a lot. Uh, and, and I would say this for almost any, you know, I almost don't want to give away the secret, but we learned that, you know, customers and, and prospects, they really want to get to know you. They don't want to just be spoken to and have all this content driven at them. I think trade shows oftentimes get that wrong where it's like eight hours of content, it's overload and not enough time to get to know each other and ask questions and, and, and go that route. So we, we kind of flipped that uh, on its head and said, you know, we're going to do less content and more networking. And I think that turned out really well. Yeah, I think that that's huge. So what, I guess the audience that was there, obviously mm-hmm. you, you've got, you had a, a, I'd basically call it a panel of, of uh, folks to talk about the industry, but what was the audience comprised of? What, what types of folks were there, companies, organizations, individuals, what did that look like? Yeah, so we primarily, you know, wanted to we wanted to go a little bit smaller this year, obviously, and 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 COVID required that. I mean, there were restrictions that we had to follow and protocols. So it was it was very challenging in that regard. So we didn't want to go after everybody, but we we went 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 after some select customers that uh, we felt would be uh, would be great participants. We had several prospects there as well. Some uh, some prospects that wanted to ask 
customers are, you know, questions ask, you know, and not talk to salespeople, but talk to actual customers. So we put that in the, in the room together it was probably 90% customers and about 10% prospects. Um, and it was a, it was a, it was an array of, you know, we've got brokerages that are $10 million all the way up to, you know, some of the publicly traded companies that, uh, that you would recognize their names, uh, you know, every, everybody would know them. So it was a, it was a nice variety of customers and prospects. And again, it was more of kind of a test run. And again, I think it went really well. We had incredible yeah. activities. We did dune buggy activities. We did paintball. We had an, we had a golf tournament that was phenomenal. One of our brand ambassadors is a um, Jared Wolf. He's on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's won twice this year. And one more win, he goes right to the PGA Tour. He's just an incredible guy. Um, very humble. And he came out and did a clinic for all of our, our participants of the golf tournament, which was awesome. And then he played two to three holes with each group. So everybody got to watch him play and strategize and just trying to create some really cool moments. We had three NFL football players come and give a panel on Saturday morning and talk about their experience in the NFL and how some of those lessons translate over into business now and their careers and inspirational talks. So tried to try to mix it up with a little bit of everything and it, it uh, went really well. That's awesome. So, so back to your, the participants, I think that's awesome. There's so much power in customers essentially giving referrals because Ben, you and I have talked about so many times when it comes to prospecting and, and lead generation, referrals is such a big part of that. So many people don't leverage this free resource in any way. And it's almost predominantly for one reason. They're scared, right? They're focused on themselves. They're worried about, oh, what are they going to think? Am I going to be perceived as pushy? I have an established value and all of the other head trash associated with it. I literally just got out of a training this morning that we ran. And it was interesting because we went back and forth a little bit on that actual piece, right? And, you know, we had heard everything from, I can't ask for referrals because I haven't worked with them long enough. And, you know, one of the other coaches in there had asked the attendee and said, you know what, do you have faith in your business that you guys are the best at what you do? We got a resounding yes. Follow-up question. Do you believe you personally as a rep representing this organization are the best at what you do and that you provide better service than anyone else out there? Absolutely resounding yes. And the way we reframed that was said right back to this person said, you know what, if you believe these two things are true, you're actually doing this person a disservice by not reaching out and offering them your service because they're going to get it somewhere else. And by your own admission, they're going to get less service than they would get from you. And when you stop focusing on yourself, me, what are they going to think of me? And you start focusing on them. How many people can I help and what can I do to make their lives better? Everybody wins. Yeah. And I and think then I would actually jump in. Can I jump in real quick? Yeah, I think there's two things to that. One is uh, if you're not providing quality service or value, then of course you're going to be scared. So that's the first question is like, like <laughs> make sure you're doing that, that you're providing you know, value and quality for sure. But the second thing is this, is that you actually create a culture of referrals because if, if, if I say, Hey Ben, go talk to Nate and you refer, you know, you, you give a referral for Nate. Then when I go to Nate and ask him for a referral, he's going to be like, yeah, they, they had been, you know, I got to talk to Ben. I'm going to talk to this guy. And it almost creates that culture among your customer base of referrals, which is great because it holds you accountable to continue to provide great value and great, you know, great services. But two, it makes it much easier when you say, Hey, Nate, would you go and talk to so-and-so they're asking? Uh, and I thought you'd be a great person to share your experience with them. Yeah. So what I was going to say too, is, you know, if someone's afraid because the customer is, you know, too new to ask for a referral on the flip side, I remember early on in my career, I was too new at a company that I didn't really have anyone to ask for a referral, but you can still leverage colleagues or other people that you know and their customers to do that. And that's a great, that's a great tool as well. And 
Um, so I, I had done that when I was early on. I had asked a, a colleague of mine for one of his folks to get a referral through. And actually, the, the guy that gave the referral, it made him feel good that he was trusted enough by us to be that voice. So I think that mm-hmm. that shows a lot too. So and it means a lot to your customer. So that's awesome. And I think so, a good a good a good best practice is to really create uh, an active referral list for all of your you know salespeople to have. So even if I'm you know a month into the job and I don't know these people, but I've got this list and I can you know somebody in the organization can make that uh, introduction to that person. Like you said, it you know it feels good for them to be on your you know preferred referral list. You know, as a customer, yeah. <laughs> a preferred customer referral list. I mean, it really does. Absolutely. I've yet to have one of our customers say, gosh, you guys stop asking me to talk to people. Like we make them the expert, you know, you're, you're one of our, our, our best customers that knows us in and out. We'd love for you to share that your experience with them, good or bad. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Happy, happy to do that. For sure. So the, uh, back to the event, obviously a, a networking type of format. Um, I think there's a big power to that, that a lot of people don't leverage. And, you know, before we hopped on to record, we had a, a little offline discussion about the, uh, you know, the people, like I said, they, they overlook the benefits of networking. It's essentially free to do. There's no cost. It's not like you're buying a leads list or something like that. I think networking is such a powerful tool that a lot of people just don't even think about, or maybe they're scared or nervous to do it. Um, what did you guys find as an outcome? How did that go for you? Just having everyone kind of get together. I know with, with COVID, obviously the virtual aspect to part of it might've limited you to an extent, but the in-person networking, you know, you're like you said, you're not just doing eight hours of seminars every day. People can just kind of relax, take a load off, hit, you know, swing the golf clubs and ride dune buggies and shoot paintballs at each other's faces and all that good stuff. What, uh, what did you guys <laughs> find as uh, you know, the, the benefits out of that? Well, there's, there's two things that are really important. I mean, obviously for, um, for the customers and prospects to interact, that's, that's invaluable. But most importantly is we really believe in the value of relationships with our customers, ongoing, you know, growing relationships where um, we really get to know each other and our customers know that we care about them. We care about their businesses. We care about their families. And so, you know, if we, if you do eight hours of sessions where you're providing content, you may feel like you're providing value, but spending time at dinner with people or on those doom buggies asking, how are your kids doing, you know, and, and, and getting to know them on a personal level is so much more important. And so we value that highly at lean with all of our customers. We consider them a part of our family. So that's the number one benefit of an event like this was to continue to grow those relationships. And that's huge. And then the, the other benefit is you don't have to sell your services anymore because your customers are doing it for you. So yep. I can tell, I can tell a prospect, you know, how great we are and I can, sh- I can show them our implementation plan and uh, results of what we've done. But if they just go, you know, across the room and ask somebody else who's using our services, Hey, what went well, you know, what do you like about it? Why do you keep using it? How can I best leverage it? I mean, that's gold. That's so much better than what I'm going to say because I'm the salesman. Uh, but for a user to say, uh, this is why we use them. That, that, that that's just uh, immeasurable. So that was that was a huge outcome that we got. We have several prospects that came that were, were kind of on the maybe on the fence. That's the wrong way to say it. But they were they were not quite ready and they left ready. But the flip side is this: is that we have multiple different products now to sell, and the majority of our customers came into the Lean family of customers as a staffing or back office operations customer only. Now we do tech development, we do lead generation, and other sales activities. And we do agency style marketing. So there's more that we have to offer. And a lot of them didn't even know about that. So again, we were able to say, hey, here's ways you can leverage lean even greater. And then, oh, by the way, this 
is this is the customer that's really killing it on the marketing side. Go chat with him if you have a question. Here's our VP of marketing. Make sure you connect with these people and ask questions. So there was a lot of value that came out of it from from many angles on that. That's awesome. Event. I mean, we we all know this is, but you know, they, they say that people do business with those that they know, like, and trust. And I think a networking event is a great way to do that. Uh, ben, I want to ask you this. So uh, with coaching, obviously, a lot of folks, they have that trouble with hopping on the phone for the first time and, and having that first conversation with a prospect. And they sometimes they just go right into that rapid fire. I'm going to read off a script and try to get the sale right away when I think you do a great job with coaching folks on it is the the concept of kind of that exploratory phase, kind of get to know who they are, get to know their industry, get to know about their family, their kids, their hobbies, all that stuff. And hey, it may or may not be a, a good fit to do business together, but you build that relationship, you get to learn about their industry and they may they could possibly even give you a referral. But what, what would you say to, to somebody that's newer and you know that concept of networking more so than just trying to get a hard sale right away? I actually went through this with a client yesterday. I had a coaching call before they started prospecting on this, right? And I was explaining the correlation and the similarities between actual networking, what we think of it traditionally, which is what Trey's talking about. You're at an event, there's 50 people, there's 100 people, there's 1,000 people, whatever that may be, right? You can still do those same things over the phone. You're just doing them in a one-on-one -on -one version, right? And you should be doing the exact same things, getting to know people, getting them to like you and getting them to trust you. Exactly what you just said, right? I think there's a tendency, maybe it's because of you have to make so many calls in this industry that we tend to, and even this is really prevalent along senior brokers, is that it just becomes all business. What are the rates? What are the lanes you're shipping? What are the problems, right? And they just skip over this. And it's so important because at any level, right? They still want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. Even my most corporate customers, when I was a broker, I knew about them, knew their families, knew their kids' names, knew what their hobbies were, knew at least 10 things outside of business about each and every one of those people before we ever did business. And for the same thing, right? And when we're in person, it seems to be easier because you're literally face-to-face. -face. What I think that is, is because nobody ever, well, not never, but very seldom will you be face to face with somebody in a room where they will reject you like they will over the phone, right? And that's why I think people are more comfortable. And you'll hear salespeople say this all the time. I'm great in person, but I'm not good over the phone. All that is, is that justification and a rationalization they've told themselves mm -hmm. because they want to avoid the rejection over the phone. Now, they're every bit as good if you put a phone in their hand as if you put them in front of somebody. They're just not that one is outside their comfort zone. One involves certain rejection, but they're the same thing, right? If I'm meeting Trey and Trey and I happen to run into each other or even better, Nate walks over to me in Vegas and says, hey, I need you to talk to Trey. I walk across the room and talk to him. The same thing can happen over a phone. You could be prospecting somebody. I get you to know, like, and trust me. We might not even run a load together. And I'm going to ask you, hey, Nate, you know, who else do you know that might be a good fitter? You know, might even just be a decent human being in the industry that'd be worth me reaching out to. And he tells me to, it's Trey. I pick up the phone, same exact conversation, same thing that would happen in person, but we just don't do it. We don't do it because we want to avoid rejection because we, we have that fear. We've got that, 
limiting belief that we've told ourselves that we can do this in person, but, oh, you know, you know, doing over the phone is just too hard, right? Too difficult. <laughs> I, I agree with that completely. I would even say that, you know, understanding rejection and failure in sales. I mean, that that's, that's, that's sales 101. That's like the first thing you got to learn is what, what a no really means. And sometimes it really is no, like they're not ever going to buy our service. They don't want to work with us. That's fine. But, you know, when you, when you take it personally, you'll never figure out what the real reasons are. You'll never move beyond that if it's just a personal situation or personal no. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of it. But the other thing is this, you know, when we talk about cold calling or whatever it is, we, we often talk about this uh, thing I call the sandwich theory of sales. And that is the beginning of the conversation. The first piece of bread that you put down has got to be relational and personal. It's got to be something that they want to talk about, something that connects with them. Um, when I talk to my, my BDRs and my sales guys, I say, hey, look on LinkedIn and find out where they're located, where they go to school, where do they serve? Like maybe they have a really cool volunteer activity that they do or something that you can point out or highlight because there's three things that people love to talk about themselves, their business, and typically their families or kids. And if you can get them wrapped around something in those in that world, you can strike up a conversation that really can become personal and intimate and, and enjoyable. And that's the first piece of bread. And then you throw the meat on there. Oh, hey, by the way, I also noticed that you're a freight broker. What do you, I mean, what's your biggest challenge for hiring good talent? What do you guys, what do you guys struggle with? And you can start to get into the meat of that conversation and lead them towards a solution that might really be valuable for them that they weren't even aware of. And then you end up with, well, man, it's really great to know you're from Buffalo. I mean, we're going to have great battles moving forward because I know Mahomes will be there a long time. I sure Josh Allen's going to be there a long time <laughs> and it's going to be awesome battles. Like oh, we it. end on that note, that's the last piece of bread. And when you think of it in those terms, then you can take any call and you can start to make it at least a, a more personal relational call. Even if it's a no from a business perspective, again, it's that relationship. We always tell people and lean customers want to do business with people who are cool. That's the way we say it. So like you guys say, like, know, and trust or whatever that, no, like, trust. We just say people want to do business with people who are cool. Yep. So be the cool guy in the room, you know, be the fun guy in the room, be the person that they enjoy being with. Um, because over time, if you're that way, then you earn the opportunity to be trusted and then become a vendor uh, and have a customer. So that's kind of the way that we say it. Same, same yep. type of idea, but that's so important. Well, I mean, and Ben, you and I have said it so many times before that the amount of time think about a freight broker, right? You're the majority of your work is done virtually, you know, in essence over the phone, right? An email. So if you, if you're spending eight, 10 hours a day doing this job, if you can be doing that job with people like, like Trey, like you said, they're fun. It makes your job so much more enjoyable. Way better. And I think there's so much to be said about that. So, and, and it is, yeah. and I, I, well, I really like that approach, Trey. And the other thing is it is much simpler than I think a lot of people make it out to be right. To get somebody to talk about themselves, all you need to do is initiate that. Ask a simple question. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey, out of curiosity, I'm sure you're as buried with work as I am. What do you guys do outside of work? Anything, right? Just getting them to talk about themselves. Because the more they talk, even if you're saying nothing, you should just be listening because that is establishing rapport. That is establishing trust. They'll never remember what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And how do we feel after we get off the phone, after we just talk to somebody about ourselves? Makes us feel good. Every human being, right? It's their most favorite topic, talking about themselves. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. Or even like, you know, when Nate and I talked about earlier, if I look at his LinkedIn, he's in the US Army for 13 years. I mean, what's that like being in the Army? I've, I haven't thought about it. I didn't go. I mean, what, what, what drew you to that? You know, and he, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a five minute conversation alone and something he's intimately involved with. So just doing a little research on the front end helps out so much and being able to create those moments. Um, and so it, it can be any of those things, but you're absolutely right. When people get to talk about themselves, 
they like that. The most important word in the English language for anybody is their name. It's like, you know, these things matter whenever you're working with people and the psychology of how people think. So I want to, I want to kind of pivot here and talk about the follow-up portion because I did a, um, I went to a NASTIC conference that's the National Association of Small Trucking Companies. It was in Nashville, like, I don't know, five years ago or so that I went there. And, you know, everyone's I was at that same one. We might have walked past each other. There you go. There you go. Probably. <laughs> I had a nice world. booth set up there and I, I, I rode on a mechanical A nice booth? Bowl. We had a What's table. That? I do remember the bowl. I remember the mechanical bowl. It wasn't a booth, though. I had a table. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> maybe, we didn't, maybe we didn't pay enough money. I don't know. <laughs> Love it. But so what I thought was funny is, you know, everyone's dropping business cards and fish bowls and all that stuff. And it surprises me the amount of business cards that I personally dropped in fish bowls. I never once got a follow-up call or even like a connection on LinkedIn afterward, but I was doing, I mean, I sifted through my hundreds of cards and was making calls and, you know, they're, they're warm leads, they're layups. So what I think you guys did a great job at is I was on my LinkedIn this morning and you know, keep in mind, it's Wednesday when we record this, that your event was last week and it wasn't like it was the next day. This is later in the week. And my LinkedIn feed is just filled up with all the pictures and all the awesome stuff that you guys did at that event. So um, talk to me or talk to us a little bit about the, you know, the follow-up piece on that, what the best practices of what you can do after an event or after some sort of networking situation to, uh, you know, to keep the ball rolling there. Well, the layup there is that if somebody gives you their contact information, definitely follow up with them. I mean, don't, don't let that go by <laughs> yeah, the wayside, right. but I think that, I think that goes without being said, but we've been finding some really creative ways to, um, to follow up, but not follow up necessarily with just the people who were at the event. So um, let me give you an example. You know, Cassandra Gaines was, was uh, gracious enough to come to the event. She did a Mad Gaines live on Friday and did the panel on Saturday. Uh, Chris Jolly was there. Um, the guys from Hold My Beer uh, we're talking freight were there as well. And so these are some like influencers in the industry that have incredible networks and we had the opportunity to be together. So snapped a couple pictures, posted them on LinkedIn and tagged them in it. And it just blew up because of the network effect of, of all of us being there. And so then you find people who are like finding out about this event and all oh, sounding so great and, and liking it and all that. I spent an hour yesterday just going through everybody that liked those photos and, you know, 70% were my first connections. That's cool. The rest of them were second connections. I never, I didn't know. So now I'm connecting with people just to increase my network and see who's out there. And from that, um, you know, when, when and, and this is my best practice on LinkedIn, when I send a connection request on LinkedIn, I don't put any note or any message with it because it just, it just looks salesy. Like, like nobody yep. wants to, to, I mean, when I get a message from somebody that there's a note, I think in my head, they're already, they're already trying to sell me and that's not what I'm here for. And so I don't put any note on it. I just want to connect. And I genuinely want to just connect. That's the, yep. that's the honest truth. So yep. when people respond back and, and, and accept my connection, then I send a note and the note is simply this. I, I, I got it memorized. Hey, Nate, thanks so much for connecting or thank you for the invitation to connect. Hope all is well, Trey. Six three six two seven nine zero one two five. That's my message every time because it says, I'm going to personalize this. I'm going to thank you for connecting. And I'm going to give you my information in case you ever need anything. I'm not asking for a thing, nothing. If yeah. somebody responds to that, then we actually start a dialogue and we start talking. I'm looking at their LinkedIn. How, well, how can I talk to them? What's that first layer of bread? We're just going to start talking and I'm going to see where the conversation goes. And at the right time, I'm going to transition to a question that might be, you know, lead into seeing if they have a problem we can solve. Right. And so that was a creative way to use an event to reach people who weren't even at the event, who I don't even know. Right. And that's building the leads list. And so for our sales guys, you know, we're saying, Hey, if you got pictures from the event, 
post them, tag people. Let's, let's talk about what we did. And then let's use that as a way to follow up with first connections that weren't there, but also to meet people who, who we don't even know yet because they're interested in that content. And that's where, you know, we talked about this before we came on online today. That's where the lines between sales and marketing have really blurred. I think in the past, we would rely on the marketing team to do these types of activities. And now we're saying to the sales guys, listen, your network is just as big and your reach is better than a company page, than, than a company can do only, especially on LinkedIn, which is completely undervalued still. And so we just say to our guys, hey, post these pictures, do these activities that are not traditional sales activities of making a phone call or sending an email, but they're accomplishing the same result, if not a better result, because now it's you have something in common, you have a common interest, you have you know, common engagement on, on a topic, and that leads into a better discussion. And so we've, we've benefited tremendously from that. Uh, a lot of my sales guys do a great job. Nick Strober is probably the best on our team at that. And the rest of them are just getting better and better at it. So it's, it's been tremendous to use that, you know, as, as a follow-up. And there's some really great takeaways, right? It's, it's some of the other stuff we talked about offline is one of the things is it's built right into it. LinkedIn is going to give more juice to the individual sales reps pages than the companies. So you actually add an advantage. Not 100%. only that, but genuine authentic contact converts and engages way more than a company's content, advertisement, what have you, right? But even just little things, right? You don't necessarily have to go to an event to leverage these tools. So when I'll ask every one of our listeners, the last time you did a really good job or you saved the day for your customer, when was the last time you asked them, follow it up and ask them for a testimonial? When was the last time you asked them for a testimonial or sent it from LinkedIn to have that recommendation posted up there? or had them sent you a text message and then turn that into a post to share and just to kind of brag a little bit on either your customers or yourself and your service, right? All of these things are things that you can do so that other people can know the types of services you guys provide, right? It's like a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, right? I mean, you do all the best work in the world. Nobody has any idea. It's not really getting you the value you should. I think so on that on that note one of the things that I have found super super powerful with testimonials is in the past I've done like essentially like an interview with a customer or with a client or a vendor that we're doing business with and turn it into like a basically a blog post that would go up on the website and it would highlight, you know, the person, they, they're getting the attention. Everyone likes some attention. You get to talk about them and the, the situation they were in. It's kind of like a little white paper type of situation. Um, mm -hmm. And you could, you can, that's content right there. You can have pictures, you can have direct quotes from them and just, you know, write a little story about the situation. You can put it on your website, your blog, post it on LinkedIn, you name it. And then you can start to see the interaction on there and people love pictures and people love feel good stories. So I think that stuff, um, that stuff is awesome. And, and to another yeah. point, LinkedIn, Ben, we've talked about lead gen on LinkedIn so many times. And this episode alone is basically a, a how-to from three cool guys on how to do that. So it's a, it's a really good, really good topic. Yeah. And I think that, you know, just the, the understanding of the, what, what marketing is all about. Marketing is making people aware of what you do and, and, and how you do it and why it's better, you know, just getting it out there. And, and you know, the, like we said, the, the, the lines between sales and marketing are definitely blurred. There's still a place for a traditional marketing team, of course, because that's a kind of a one to many approach. How can we get our, how can we get our message out to a lot of people all together? But those sales guys get that one to one on a much, much grander scale, a much more effective scale. But the key, and this is something really important is the key is that sales professionals, not, you know, not post only company content, you know, don't just take the company graphic and post it. And that's all you post, 
post other stuff, post good content, post different things, post personal things, you know, let people get to know you a little bit, um, post highlights of, you know, of activities with customers or success stories and mix it up so that when you do post content that your marketing team does create, it's accepted. It's, it's, it's uh, valued much, much higher than just, Oh, he just posts about his company only all the time. Give people something of value for free, give them great content. And then when you do have something specific to your company, it goes much, much further. Yep. I agree. I agree. So here's actually, I, I got a question for both of you guys. Uh, I have my opinion on it. What are your thoughts on, so obviously the, the lines of blur between sales and marketing. Now in a, in a, you know, whether you're a broker at a larger organization or maybe you own your own brokerage or you've got an agency that's got different folks in it, the sales team and the marketing team, should they be meeting together at should the marketing team be at every sales meeting? I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about no. that because I, I have I have I have seen them not being there at all, and I've seen them being there every time. And I think there's a time and a place, but there's a yeah there's a balance in my opinion. I would say I would say no to that question because you use the word every, uh, and that's going to be right. It's definitely a no, but I do think that there's engagement that should exist. Starting first of all with the top. You know, the, the leader of the sales team, leader of the marketing team should be working on a regular basis together. That should happen. They, they're definitely not separate. But there's times when it's good to, to bring them in, in, in together and find out what's working. You know, so the marketing team comes up with an email campaign for, you know, RPA. We just did that at, at uh, you know, for Lean, for, to, to advertise Lean Tech. It'd be good to hear from the sales guys, the response they were getting or what questions they were being asked, you know, and follow up to that or, or how they feel like it went because they're the ones on the front lines. And so it'd be good for marketers to understand that. It'd be good for marketers to sit on a sales call from time to time and just hear a customer ask questions hear what the customer's interested in and get that feedback because then that will dictate the content that will dictate how they present that content or what's most important. They might think that a customer cares about X when they get on a call and hear that most customers on these calls are caring about Y and they need to then talk about Y more on, on the marketing content. So I think that's really valuable. And it's also important for sales professionals to really understand, you know, what marketing is doing and how they can partner with them to leverage that, you know? So when, when we have, uh, when we have our, our marketing team create a, a new graphic that has to do with something and they post on LinkedIn, our sales guys need to know what that graphic's referring to and if they should just copy it and how they can maybe use it um, in their, in their personal, um, you know, marketing, whether that's, you know, attaching something to an email, whether it's posting on LinkedIn, what does this case study have to do that marketing did? How do I best leverage that with customers? Who's the best target for that? So there certainly is a lot of cooperation that exists. I think it starts at the top and I think it needs to be targeted so that everybody gets the maximum value out of those interactions with, with the, the two departments. That's a good point. Um, here's something that, I, that I've seen in the past too is, uh, you know, there, there has to be collaboration and I like the idea of starting at the top. One of the things that always used to frustrate me was that um, having a marketing department or marketing folks that have so many tools and such expertise and the sales team doesn't even know what they have at their disposal. So they feel like they're starting from scratch. So I think that collaboration is extremely important. Um, I'm curious. So with, with lean, I know you guys have the, the marketing side, you've got the sales side to it and the staffing and all that. How do those two kind of interact? So let's say somebody were to set up, you know, they were to, they were to um, partner with lean for a variety of solutions. How would that marketing and sales or sales support align with one another? 
Well, part of our philosophy at Lean is we want to we want to kind of fill all the gaps or plug all the holes in the entire process. You know, so we want to look at what is their sales process today, where are they strong, where are they weak, and how can we help out? And we do the same thing on the marketing side, and really probe those questions to see. You know, the average transportation company has 1.5 marketing professionals on staff, um, and that's for that's for companies that are pretty established. And, and I would even say that might even be be generous because a lot of times it's a co 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 dual or, or a co role. A we're sales director hat, yeah. is marketing doing. The marketing as well. Um, so we're, we're trying to look at those gaps of you know, where we can best uh, have the best fit. So it's really different. It really depends on the company. Some companies have a really strong sales organization and their marketing is just not very good. Some companies have put more into marketing and don't understand top of the funnel lead generation and some of those types of things. So it's really a comprehensive look at you know, how can we best support what they have in place and or supplement what they have so that they can be most successful. Um, from a sales perspective, we're asking them about their marketing initiatives and the marketing team is asking about the sales because they do go hand in hand. But that's, that's generally how we work together as we're looking at their whole strategy around sales and marketing and where can we, where can we kind of you know, fill those gaps that they have. Ben, do you find with, uh, you know, with, with the sales training side of things, do you find folks that are better at marketing themselves in their marketing department is if they work at a, maybe they're a W2 broker or do you find people that just aren't doing it at all? What does that look like? I think it's a lot of, I mean, it, it, it varies greatly in the industry, right? Because you have people that, you know, sub agents, agents, W2 and, and across the board. Right. And a lot of people wearing a lot of different hats. I, I, I've, I've met some that are great at and some that aren't, I think the better ones are the ones that are, are looking at it from outside where they're in, for instance, like they're taking a look at it from different perspectives. They're putting themselves in their customer's shoes. They're asking themselves, you know, what are the common objections I'm hearing when I'm actually on the phone and then coming up with creative content that actually gets ahead of it because the best place to answer an objection is before it comes up. And if you can answer that before you've even gotten on the phone, then you're, that's more than half the battle before you've even gotten on the phone with a prospect. And I think yeah. really sharp salespeople or marketers, whichever side of the fence you're on, when they're engaged in activities we would qualify as marketing, whether it's sending out newsletters, emails, or you know just general content that, that's being posted out there, that's what gives them their leg up, I think, than their peers. Yeah. And I, I would, I would also throw this in from a marketing perspective too. We talked about this earlier is that, you know, the marketing needs to understand that they're, they're providing this kind of brand awareness, brand recognition, and saying a lot about their company with everything that they produce from a marketing perspective. And one of my, one of my pet peeves is swag. Like, you know, you go to these trade shows and you, we talked about, you got like this plastic cup, you know, with a, with their logo on it, or you get those squishy things sometimes. I mean, everybody's got those, but <laughs> I always think that you have to be considerate about the swag that you're giving because it's, it's sending a message about your company, you know? So don't, don't, uh, don't go, go cheap on your swag is what I would say. I would, and think through like, what's going to have the greatest impact, what's going to be most used on a regular basis, what's going to be most uh, like, you know, like, like it's really going to stand out. For example, this year, one of the things we did was we changed our name to Lean Solutions Group. We'd been Lean Staffing Solutions for years. As a part of that name change, we sent all of our customers a wine bottle that had their logo etched into the glass and on a really big logo. And then it had our new name etched in on the bottom. And it was a way to say, thank you. We have a new name. We should make sure you know about this. But it's something that everybody's displaying in their office and they're going to keep that there forever, right? So yeah. that, that's why it costs a lot of money. And it was a big thing to send those out to everybody. 
But again, it says a lot about our company, that we yep. value quality, that we value that customer. And I, I think that marketing has to think about that in everything that they do and every message they send, including their swag and what they're giving out to people. Absolutely. I agree. It's, it says a lot about who you guys are as an organization and it's, you know, that's customer retention. So, all right, let's, uh, we're going to hop into some quick Q and a here before we wrap up. I got three questions. The uh, first question is about LTL. Somebody asked, they've got a, a quote request and the shipment has different items, different sizes, different weights. They said, how do I estimate the cost? Do I just guess based on the weight? No, no, you don't. You have to know the the correct uh, freight class because you might have something that's class fifty, something that's class, you know, five hundred. They don't get priced the same. Um, any good, any good uh, LTL pricing tool should have the ability to have multiple line line items that you can put the specific freight class in, the dimensions, and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, that reclass reweight department's not going to be happy if you're just guessing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's a lot busy. of paperwork. Um, all right, Trey, I got one here for you. So somebody asked about hiring. They said, um, looking at hiring, is it a good idea to hire a part-time rep in my office? Something like three days a week. What do you think? That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, is this for an LTL or, or freight brokerage? I would, I would assume something like that. My, my first it's response freight is- brokerage. For free brokerage. Okay. I mean, my question is, do, you, do your problems only exist three days a week? I mean, is it, you know, <laughs> is, that, is that how that works? I mean, I think that, you know, I, I get the point is that you have limited funds and you're trying to accomplish as much as you can with what you have in play. That's, that's exactly the purpose of what Lean does for customers is we provide them a lower cost option with the same or better quality that can be, you know, five days a week, you know, so we, we help customers just like that set up a satellite office in Columbia, just as if they were setting up a satellite office in Dallas or Atlanta or anywhere else. We take care of all the headaches, you know, the uh, setting up the office space, uh, the, the recruiting, the, the hiring, um, a lot of that aspect of it. We take care of the payroll taxes and the benefits. So they don't have to. And so it really truly is a lower cost option, somewhere between 30 and 40% lower per head, but also high quality. And so I would say to this person, instead of looking for a part-time three days a week, look for a full-time, you know, with, with a company like ours that can provide more support and uh, deal with those headaches, uh, you know, more days of the week than just three, because that's typically how transportation works. Yeah. And there's a, uh, for the listeners, there's a great three-part series from last year that we did on uh, hiring and growth and, and kind of strategies of what types of folks to look at for filling seats first, whether it's operations, sales, kind of analyze all that. Um, so yeah, Lean, lean you, you guys have a great solution out there for, for folks looking to grow. Um, Trey, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, the best way to, to find out more about us is to go to the website, which is leangroup.com, L-E-A-N, leangroup.com. They can always reach out to me directly as well, tgriggs at leangroup.com. That's T-G-R-I-G-G-S at leangroup.com. Or give me a call, 636-279-0125. Love it. We'll put that in the show notes too, in case you didn't jot that down. Uh, any uh, closing remarks, gentlemen? Trey, let you handle it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really, really great to be with you guys. We've talked a lot offline, been looking forward to this. I uh, hope this was very helpful for uh, for your audience, uh, but always a good time to be with you guys. So thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great show. I, I mean, really enjoyed it. I'm going to be really looking forward to getting out to Vegas next year. I was super jealous when I saw all the photos. <laughs> yes, put it on the calendar, find out when Super Bowl weekend is, and that's when we're doing it. So put it on your calendar. We'll, we'll get you out there. 
Yeah, so looking forward to it. I mean, only final thoughts. I mean, just adding, hey, if you guys are looking to grow and specifically questions like this, if you're looking to be able to manage the expenses, but you want better expectations, you want to be able to develop some of these things, reach out to lean, reach out, start a conversation, see what your options are. I mean, it's the first thing I would say if I was coaching with you is to look at all of your options, be as open-minded as possible in step one, and then start narrowing them down from there to find the right fit for you. Love it. Absolutely. Yep. Where's your proverb, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.